Happy Easter, everybody, from wherever you're at around the world. We're honored that you're here with us online with Mercy Road Church. We invite you to share this link live right now. We can't wait to see what God may do with it. If you're new to Mercy Road, we started this church for people that are far from God. We believe anybody can experience life change through Jesus that the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, thank you for joining online right now. And man, can we just admit what an unexpected Easter this is. I'm literally in a studio right now preaching to an empty room. There's nobody here. And I am uh, gonna give you the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus this Easter in an unexpected way. And I don't know if you've been having the unexpected, but my whole life has been flipped upside down. I'm sure yours has as well, man. It reminded me like of five Easter's ago, actually. We were pregnant with our, our final child. His name is Jet. And uh, he was to give birth shortly after Easter. And we had the unexpected thing happen like a few days before I'm supposed to preach at this big Easter service with a thousand some people. All of a sudden we realized that my wife is going into labor and we have to go to the hospital and deliver the baby. And you're like, Josh, that doesn't sound that unexpected. Well, you don't understand, like, it wasn't just that we knew the baby was coming for nine weeks or months, right? But we didn't know it was going to be right before Easter. And here was the other thing. My wife, a couple months earlier, had told me that she wanted me to deliver the baby. Now, <laughs> some of you are like, dude, that sounds awesome. What's the lifetime experience? No, dude, I, I was petrified. I was like, I don't like the sight of blood. I'm not doing that. But husbands, you know, when it comes to the, the child being born, the wife is 100% charged. So I told her, okay, honey, I'll be there. The doctor tells me what to do. I can, I can do it. I can deliver that child. And so I literally went in and I did the unexpected, what I never thought I would be able to do. I got to actually deliver my own son, Jet, just five years ago. And here was a picture of him that day at the birth. He came out and he, he looked like this. He's just a, a beautiful child, just very gr great hair day on that, on that birthday. Just it, amazing. That's not obviously, uh, uh, that's ridiculous, but I do have a pic of him. He came out that day looking like this. Isn't that cute? That's way cuter, way better. It just, it was the most amazing experience. Okay, it wasn't the day of, but shortly after you get the point. Just an unexpected joy in my life that I got to not only have another son, I got to be a part of the delivery, and I'll always, always, always remember that. Here's a picture of my son today, and now he's actually five. He's a little, little man now. He's growing up. He's changing. And I get to look at the birth of my son that day and the man he is becoming, and I just want to prepare some of you who are sitting at home right now, some of you as Christians celebrating Easter, some of you, you click this link and you're watching this video and you're not a Christian or you have questions. We started this church, like I said, just for you. And what if, what if God wanted to use an unexpected year as we are battling the pandemic, the COVID crisis has brought? What if he took an unexpected year and did the unexpected in your life? I wanna show you today through scripture, his power and what we're celebrating together at Easter. And Easter is the day we remember the resurrection of Jesus. We remember that he was crucified as an atoning sacrifice on Good Friday. He spent three days in the grave. And on the third day, he rose again, overcoming death itself. That anybody who repents of their wrongdoing and turns to God could be forgiven for any mistake they've ever been done, ever done, and be made right with the perfect God. 
And I want to show you that good news he has. If you'll turn with me now to John chapter 11, and we see a story of the unexpected. And John chapter 11 actually isn't about the resurrection of Jesus. So you're like, dude, why are we studying this? It's Easter. We're supposed to look at Luke 24. We'll get there eventually. But I want to look at John chapter 11. If you want to power on your Bible at home, or you could go to Bible.com, but the verses will be on the screen for you as well. It says this in John 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany, this little village, was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. These were some of Jesus' closest friends. They were in this village, Bethany, just two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And John the disciple writes this gospel, the good news of Jesus. And in chapter 11, he's detailing what happens right before Holy Week occurs. And they make a final stop there in Bethany because they hear their closest friend, Lazarus, has died and he's been put into a tomb. And his sister is Mary and Martha. You remember them? They, one of them wanted to spend time with Jesus and the other one busied herself in the kitchen. Earlier in the Gospel of John, we learned about them. And I want to show you here, Martha, how she kind of has a change of heart, a redemption moment. It says uh, in verse 19, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. She gets it this time. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, some of us today who are familiar with Christianity, we're like, okay, we get the claims of the resurrection, but this had literally never occurred. <laughs> so when Jesus says he's going to raise again, you got to be like, okay, Jesus lost it now. He's just totally lost it at this point. But he says a resurrection will occur. And here's how Martha responds. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He, he, he says this. He says, no, 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 I'm not just talking about one day. We believe as Christians Jesus will return one day, put the world right. We will live with God eternally in heaven and earth together in paradise, and we'll be right with God and with other human beings. He goes, I'm not talking about that. Even the Jewish people understood that concept. He said, I'm not talking about that. He says, I'm talking about I'm the resurrection of life for today. I'm going to raise him right now. And then he looks at her and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe that he has the power and the authority to do that? Still today, do you believe that he has the power and the authority that as we battle this disease, he could not only be with us, but those who are lost, if they know Christ, one day will spend eternity with him and they will go to be with him right after their death. Do we believe that? This Easter has become way more important than any Easter before. And that's why I encourage you, share this. This is going to go out even Sunday evening. We cannot wait to see how God is going to use this. Share this. There's never a better time for us to hear the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. And see, here's how Martha responds. She says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She says, I believe it. I believe that you're the anointed one, the Messiah that was to come, the Son of God that was to give his life for us. And so my question to you, just as Jesus asked Martha that day, do you believe this?
You may be familiar with it. You may have heard the story, but do you believe this? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person in their homes or apartments or places around the globe right now. God, you you are not stuck to a building. Your spirit goes globally. It's in every place right now at the same time. You created the universe in six days, God. Anything is possible for you. I pray right now that if maybe somebody's watching this video that needs to hear from you, that you would speak not through my words, but through your words that you have to say through me and through scripture directly to our souls, God. We need you right now in a season like this. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. Man, you talk about unexpected. Your your brother dies and then Jesus shows up and he says, I'm gonna raise him right now. Now, you know what happened? He did it. He did it. See, here's the thing about Jesus. He can do the impossible. Here's the thing about God in your life right now. He can do immeasurably more than you could even imagine. But so many of us, we believe that you don't understand, like I've got all this junk in my life. I have done wrong things. I've said wrong things. I've thought wrong things. I've uh, inhaled wrong things. I've eaten wrong things. I've done things to people that are heinous. God's not for me. It, it couldn't possibly be for Here's what I want you to hear th- today. The God that created you has a purpose and a plan for your life, not just the good people, because there are no perfect people. He has a purpose and a plan for your life right now. God, here's the big idea. God is for you. He is for you in your life. And to break that down a little bit, I want to show you through three simple principles in Scripture, through the passage that we read throughout the Gospel of John, and then in the resurrection story itself, how he is for you. And the first idea is this. He, he can do and he does the impossible in you. If you're like, okay, I've heard about God my whole life, but I've never, he's not really for me. You don't understand, like I said, all the brokenness and the shame and the guilt I got. Let let me tell you, I'm somebody that used to throw a lot of fraternity parties and participate in things I am not proud of. And even as a Christian, I have done things I wouldn't want people to know about. The the scriptures teach us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect. But God is still for you and he can do, number one, the impossible in you. He can do the impossible in you. And if you're taking notes at home, let me break down just the gospel of John a little bit for you. We see a number of miracles that God does. If you think something's not possible for God, you don't understand the power and the authority of almighty God. In chapter two, the wood shaper, Jesus, he was a carpenter, right? That's what he had done for 30 years. He begins three years of active ministry. And the first miracle we get in the gospel of John, he turns water into wine. It's thought, according to the size of the jars and everything, it could have been as much as 150 gallons of wine. And it's not the Franzia at the bottom shelf, you know, when you go to the grocery store. This is like the top shelf good stuff. He creates it. He changed the molecular structure of dirty water taken from the troughs, most likely, for the animals and turns it into purified wine. You think he couldn't purify your soul? But that's not the only miracle he does. He, he, in chapter four, he demonstrates his lordship over longitude and latitude, and he heals a man's son while not even being present there. He, they just say, okay, because of your faith, he's gonna be healed right now. Long distance healing is about to occur. 
no credit charged. Chapter 5, then, he reveals his mastery over the chronology and reverses 38 years of pain and suffering of one person in a moment. 38 years they had been that way. And the power of Jesus healed him. He can do the impossible in you. I'm telling you, he can. He's done it in me. He continues to do it in others and in me today. Chapter 6, he then feeds 5,000 people. You, you've heard this before, actually 5,000 men plus women and children with just a little kid's lunchable, right? Essentially, it was just like some loaves of bread and some fish, and he feeds 5,000 people. You're like, you don't understand like where the struggles I'm at today. Some of you with the crisis going on, you've lost your job already. I saw the unemployment in one week, the comparison in one week of unemployment to weeks back in 2008 when the economy tanked. It's not even comparable to the one week when all of this broke. And we've got hope for the future, certainly, and today's message is not about the economy, but I want to tell you that if you feel hopeless today, he fed thousands of people with just a few loaves and some fish. I know he can take care of you, but you're going to have to trust him. And then you get in chapter uh, nine, later, chapter, a little bit after in chapter six, you get the encore. He kind of walks on water, showing everybody that he has the ability to walk on a liquid. It's incredible what he could do. And then in chapter nine, the great physician reorients a blind man's brain, creating a synoptic pathway from his optic nerve for, to his uh, visual cortex. Like he has the ability to do and heal even a man who had been blind. I know he can care for you and your needs today. He can do the impossible, the impossible in you. And then finally, he raises Lazarus from the grave here. He had been in the grave, right, for four days. Think of the decomposition of the body that would have occurred. He had the power and authority to raise Lazarus from the grave. What could he do in you? If you're sitting here today and you're like, no, that's wishful thinking. Uh, when I think of Christians, I think of judgmental, hypocritical people who vote certain ways politically and are angry at the rest of society. I want to tell you today, you don't know the good news of Jesus the way the scriptures teach then because he is for you and he can do the impossible in me and he can do the impossible in you and he is, loves you and he has redeemed you and he is calling you home to him. I'm going to preach today, so I hope you're ready for it. See, I believe the vision of church should look different as well. I believe that the church, the local church, should be the hope of humankind. Right now, we are supplying thousands of surgical masks to people in hospitals in partnership with over 15 other churches in the Indianapolis area. We provided over 200,000 masks to the frontline workers in the healthcare system and first responders right now. We have outposts bringing care packages to first responders and healthcare workers. We have outposts scattered all over the city. We started 30 new online outposts in one week. The church of God is alive and active and they're finding community and support during a crisis with one another online and then they're dreaming, God, how could you use us? Because God can do the impossible in us and then we could be used by him to do the impossible in other people's lives. That's the power of God. But see, here's the thing. God doesn't just do the impossible in you. It doesn't just stop there. Because I get, even when you begin to pray and you begin to open yourself up to what if God's real? you still have to understand the power and the authority that he comes with. See, he, he doesn't just do the impossible in you. He rose from the grave for you. 
for you. We're celebrating the resurrection, right? So let me tell you just a little bit about the, the resurrection. We're going to look at it in Luke chapter 24 here in a moment. But uh, he didn't just turn water into wine and do some little parlor tricks or something. The guy literally rose from the grave. Uh, William Lane Craig, an apologist, he writes these four facts of the resurrection. And the first one is this, that Christians and non-Christians knew the tomb was empty. So nobody debated that he rose for, or that his body was gone, right? Like nobody debated he was either stolen from the grave or he literally rose from the grave like Christians believe. Christians and non-Christians, they all, they all agree on that. The, the second thing, uh, facts of the resurrection, the disciples who followed Jesus, they all died brutal deaths, with the exception of John on the island of Patmos. And why would they die such brutal deaths for a cause they knew was false? They knew it was fake. Would you do that? Like if you knew it, you knew, okay, we took the body. Would you die for it? Third fact, eight ancient sources, both inside and outside the New Testament, confirmed that the disciples encountered Jesus after his death and resurrection, including 500 at one time. Finally, number four, these could not have been hallucinations or visions because groups don't have hallucinations and the body would still be in the tomb if it had just been a vision, right? Like you don't all have a vision or a hallucination together and the, it was just a vision, it wasn't real, the body would still be there. That's why there was actually uh, this journalist in Chicago a, a few decades ago that went to study the facts. He was an atheist and he thought he'd prove his atheism. And so he went and studied some of these facts that I just shared and, and more. His name was Lee Strobel. And here's what he wrote after that. He wrote a book called Case for Christ. He eventually became a Christian and he wrote, in the end, after I had thoroughly investigated the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus. And that's why I'm now celebrating my 30th Easter as a Christian. Not because of wishful thinking, the fear of death, or the need for a psychological crutch, but because of the facts. So it would take more faith for him to be an atheist. Some of you who are agnostic, it would take more faith to stay in there. I encourage you, seek it out. I don't have to convince you. I just want to point you to Jesus. I believe he's real and you're going to encounter him. And as followers of Jesus, as we celebrate Easter together all over the world, we believe the power of the resurrection is still for today, that we have hope in Christ. And my question is, do you believe it? Can, can I be totally honest with you? I am an eight on the Enneagram. I am just learning what that means. It mainly means that some people think I'm a jerk, but it also means that just in general, I'm not somebody who gets emotional very easily. Everybody will tell you that. It is not a secret. I see extroverts posting online right now with the pandemic going on. This is horrible. Huggers can't hug. And I'm just like, praise the Lord. You don't have to touch me anymore. This is awesome. I don't, I, people know I'm not a hugger. I don't know why. Something's wrong with me. Pray for me. But I'm, I'm not a hugger. But here's what I've realized. For the first time in the last few weeks, I've experienced some anxiety and worry and concern. And it usually doesn't revolve around me. It's around people in my life, my family, my close friends, my coworkers, my partners in the gospel together, my, hu my huddle and people that have been in my outposts over the years. I want you to know as your pastor, like I, I, I love you, I have concern for you. And for the first time I've experienced some of those things. And here's where I sit guys. 
that the power of the grave is for today. And if he can overcome death itself, he can overcome whatever it is. And there is no virus that will stand up against the power of Christ and his resurrection. And I've begun to take some of that worry and hand it over to him and understand he wants to not only uh, do the impossible in me, he doesn't only want me to receive that his power, that the resurrection was for me, he, he also wants to empathize with me. Point number three, if you're taking notes, he can empathize with you. We don't need to make light of the situation around us. It's pretty bleak at times. We get moments of improvement, moments of hope. We've also had a number of people in our church get the virus, be in and out of the ER. We've had people in our church praying for people outside of hospitals because they've been on ventilators. And I just want to tell you, like, I get it. But there has never been a more important time to remember that the God who created you and redeemed you, he desires life to live eternally with him. And one day there will be no more pain or suffering. The old order of things will pass away, the Bible tells us, and the new order will come as the new heaven and the new earth come together. And he had never desired for us to experience these things, but the rebellion of humankind brought so much into our world. And I just want to encourage you today that he empathizes with you. Do you know what he did before he went to the cross? It says in scripture, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the whole Bible. Two words, Jesus wept. He, he cares about you. He weeps for you. He hurts with you. I just want to show you really quickly in, in, in the resurrection story itself. Have you ever actually looked at Luke chapter 24? What it would have been like from Jesus' perspective when the resurrection occurred? Let's read it together. This is the story of that first Easter morning, the resurrection day. On the first day of the week, Sunday for us, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Why are the women bringing spices? Now the women, let's give them some credit, they actually showed up to the tomb, but why are they bringing spices with them? Because they're going to treat his dead, decomposing body. That's what you did. They knew he had been in there. They hadn't been able to treat the body on Saturday because it was the Sabbath, and so they wanted to come in as soon as the sun rose on Sunday so they could treat the body. When they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, angels, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to him, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you coming here expecting them to be dead? Why are we expecting God not to show up in the middle of a pandemic and crisis? Why are you expecting that God's not going to care for you at the loss of your job and the pain that you're going through? Why are you turning to Netflix and drugs and alcohol and other things to escape the realities that we're facing today when the one thing that can help you during this time is the one who can empathize with you, the almighty creator of the universe, and the day that he resurrected, it says that they showed up ready to treat his dead body because they didn't believe it. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you? Y'all forget. He's like, I told you this is going to happen. I, I literally just told you. Any of you got children? And like my five-year-old Jet that's grown up, he's still, he's still a five-year-old. And like sometimes just this week, I turned my back for two seconds, and all of a sudden he's outside with no shirt on, covered in mud, head to toe. I posted something on, online. Like, and you're just like, dude, I've told you, stay out of the mud. Stop doing this like a hundred times. Why don't you listen? 
And Jesus, in this moment, the angels are like, didn't he tell you this is going to happen? Don't you understand what he's doing? Verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered these words. They're like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, you did did tell us that. I I remember that. I forgot it for a second. I didn't write it down, put a note on my phone. But now, now this time I'm going to remember that you were going to raise on the third day. It's what I love about this. It demonstrates to us, so many of us, even those who knew Jesus well, are so prone to drifting. To drift in our lives. Just a few days after he had told them what was going to happen, they all forget And think of it from Jesus' perspective. You've been hanging out with these people for three years, your closest buddies, man, your bros, Peter, James, and John, they're all gonna be there, right? When when that grave opens up and I've told you everything that's gonna happen, I'm gonna walk out, we're gonna bro hug it out, it's gonna be awesome and celebrate the power of God over death itself, and you walk out and no one's there. How depressing would that be? Jesus empathizes. He understands what it's like to have people not be there for him, to feel alone like some of you feel right now. In fact, he felt no more alone than that day on the cross when he's crucified. In Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34, it says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, remember that time, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we all go, yeah, see, he's all alone. But do you know what he was doing in that moment as he's giving up his spirit on the cross? He's demonstrating to you today, in your home, 2,000 years later, that you could know with certainty he was claiming to be the Messiah of the world, that if you believe in him, whoever believes in him shall inherit eternal life. Because of two things. First of all, what time did he give up his spirit? On the cross there in Mark. If you caught that, it said three o'clock in the afternoon. Why three o'clock in the afternoon? Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish community had sacrificed the Passover lamb at guess what time? Three o'clock in the afternoon on the day of Passover, the day that it is that Jesus is crucified. And the lamb that you put cast your sin onto that would be slain for the Jewish community at Passover, that Passover lamb would take on the sins of the community so that you could be forgiven for one year. It was a horrible thing. This animal got what we deserved and God didn't like it, but humanity was so sinful. And God said, I don't want that. And so he gave us the lamb of God, Jesus, God incarnate. And he gives his life at exactly three o'clock in the afternoon when the Passover lamb would have been slain and the high priest would have come out and said, to Telestai, it's paid in full. The sins of the Jewish community are paid for one year. And in John chapter 19, do you know what they say in that moment? It says, Jesus says, to Telestai, it's paid in full. Your sins are forgiven. So what's this whole thing about Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani, and Mark? Why is he saying, God, why have you forsaken me? I've seen TV shows over the years make jokes about it, but I want to tell you today what it is. It's a quote of Psalm 22, a messianic psalm that was talking about the, talking about the coming of the Messiah. And so he says, in one short little time, three o'clock in the afternoon, and it says, Eloi, Eloi, to quote Psalm 22, that you would know he gives his life, that you would know he is the Messiah that he claimed to be, and that he is for you, and that they have been preparing for this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds 
of years, and you didn't want to have to question it today thousands of years later. Isn't that cool? He is for you. His, his resurrection, overcoming the grave, is for you, and he can empathize with you right where you're at. In his moment of aloneness, he chooses to give his life for you. That's how much he is for you. And as we close out our time together, I, I, I want to give you, I told you I was going to preach, and I hope you're ready for this, because I believe God is going to do the unexpected in your life today. And you may just be watching this now or even later on in the week, and you may not realize that the Holy Spirit of God transcends times himself, and he's going to speak to you, maybe not through my words, but I want to remind you of this, that he does the impossible in you, he is for you, and he is with you, and your response to that is to make him Lord. To make him Lord, to believe and receive his forgiveness for you. And you're like, I, I'm not, I can't do that. You don't know where I've been and what I've done. Did you catch the first part? He can do the impossible. It doesn't matter how broken you are. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. His, his death, his resurrection, it was for you. And he asks you to make him Lord of his life today. And we believe as Christians that we come together and we be used by God to transform the culture around us, that he is for our cities and our states and our countries and our world, and he wants to make this place a better place. His reign begins today, but it has to start in you and in me. See, I love this final quote I'm gonna share with you. It comes from uh, an unlikely source, maybe the front singer for the band U2. I mean, you gotta love U2. That's old school, great stuff. And Bono, the lead singer who is a Christian, said this, when he was asked that Christ, does he have his rank among the world's greatest religious people? But the son of God, that thing is kind of far-fetched. And maybe that's you today. You're like, okay, I like this, but Jesus is another good teacher. Bono said, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet who had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook like that. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a, a teacher. Don't, don't call me a teacher, Jesus says. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying, as I just demonstrated to you in Scripture, I'm the Messiah, Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm God incarnate. And people say, no, 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 please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was. Jesus either was the Messiah, the Christ, or he was a complete nutcase. Reminiscent of what the theologian C.S. Lewis said, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he, you need to make him Lord. And I want to tell you from my personal experience, 20 years ago, fully surrendering my life to Jesus Christ, if you do that today, it will be the best decision of your life. Life may not be easier, but it's more meaningful and you can find hope in times like this, and you will never be alone again, and you can know that you're gonna have eternal salvation. You don't have to question it. It's not from your good works. The good people don't get into heaven because we're never good enough to be in the presence of a perfect God. It's only those who have surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus and have trusted in his atoning sacrifice on the cross and his power over the grave itself, that it is for you. He wants to be with you and in you. And that you say, well, then how do I receive this? It's really simple. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, really simple. You declare with your mouth, 
Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, do you believe this? You will be saved. There's no question mark there. And I just want to encourage you in your home or on your device, anywhere around the world, there is never a better time in human history than what we're facing today to believe and receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He wants to do the impossible in you. He resurrected from the grave for you and he can empathize with you. He wants to walk with you during a season like this. Will you respond? Will you make him Lord? Will you allow him to use you to change this world around us to look more like he would desire? That's my hope for you, baby. What if this was the greatest Easter the church of Jesus Christ has ever seen because people globally began to receive and open themselves up that he used a tragedy to bring new birth. He uses the unexpected to do the unexpected in your life. What if, just like I was scared to death to go into the birth of my son and go through that experience, what if he wants to help you be born again, not physically, but spiritually, as John 3 says, that you could be born again spiritually into this life and receive eternal salvation. That's my hope for you. That's for I hope for you. Man, please, I'm begging you, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord today. If you would do that, whatever age you are, whatever demographic you are, God does not care. He just asks you to respond. Please, please pray with me. God, we love you. We surrender our lives to you. And for those, whether it's to recommit their lives or for the first time surrender their lives to your Lordship, I invite you to pray this all, all around the globe right now. Right now, pray this with me. I surrender my life to your Lordship, Jesus. I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I give my entire life to you. Use me, Lord Jesus. We love you. God, I pray for those who just prayed that right now, that they would reach out to somebody today, reach out to our prayer team online, mark a connect card and let us know so that we could support them and get them to community all around the globe as we have online outposts starting all over the state and eventually around the world. God, help us to be the people you created us to be. We surrender everything to you this season and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.